0: This message was recorded at North 2012, an event organised by Christ Central, part of New Frontiers. You can find out more about Christ Central by visiting our website, ChristCentralChurches.org. the temptation to be laying in the sun and have come to this seminar. That is fantastic. And... Uh, I don't know about you, but I think we've had an incredible Feast of Ministry already. I think it's been amazing. I think Jeremy's word on uh, Friday night was just so extraordinary. And uh, I've been around a number of years, as you can probably tell. Um, It's a very interesting time in the history of New Frontiers at the moment. And uh, I think all that Jeremy shared about this whole kind of transition from one sphere to five spheres and all the implications of that. Um, It's an interesting time. It's a very key time and it's incredibly important that we get this time right. I, I think it's important that we understand that this is not only about leadership. This is not just about renaming things and a few leaders having an idea and working out administratively how this body of people that have been together over a a number of years are going to move. It's something that is far more a grassroots thing and it's important that we are responding in our hearts and understanding what God is saying prophetically to his church at this time and that's really something that I want to address this afternoon in terms of transition and where do we how, how do we respond to the prophetic kind of prophetic word that we heard last night and uh, sorry friday night and uh, the kind of thing that dave devinish was sharing this morning and uh, in a sense in view of what i've heard from this platform over the last couple of days i've slightly changed what i was going to do so um, We're still looking at the whole concept of dynamic church and dynamic lifestyle, but I want to give it a particular and I hope prophetic application for what is coming out of the ministry of this conference at this this time. So uh, dynamic churches, dynamic lifestyle. The word Dynamic comes from the Greek word dunamis, and most of you will know, I'm sure, that that is a word for the Holy Spirit. Jesus said you will receive power, you will receive dunamis when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And at this time, I'm really passionate that we don't lose the power and impetus of the work of the Holy Spirit in the church. The church needs to be absolutely riddled with his presence and with his working, and we need to learn as people how to respond to him. Now that will affect our personal lives, because the Holy Spirit is personal, but it will also affect dramatically how we do church. Now this is a seminar, and normally in a seminar I like to have some interaction now I didn't realize it was going to be in such a kind of large area as this and there would be so many people so it's very difficult to kind of get the kind of interaction that I would normally like but if you have got a burning question as I'm going along feel free to put your hand up I may see you I may not and I may ask you what you want to say or I may not but you can give it a go OK, but normally I'd like to have some interaction. Actually, the word seminar comes from the Latin word seminarium, which actually is a breeding ground. It's like a plant nursery. That's what a seminarium was. It was a plant nursery. And when I was just praying about this whole uh, uh, time together and, and doing this, so I felt God give me a picture for this seminar. And I will be lobbing out lots of things that will be like seeds that I hope will get potted. So I'll be touching on lots of different areas. Um, Normally in a a seminar you would perhaps take one particular subject and analyse it in depth. I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to lob out lots of things. But I hope that it will be like planting seeds into lots of pots. Not that you're looking potty, okay, I'm not saying that. But... um, Uh, That's what I'm hoping to do. Now, I think it is a very, very key time because New Frontiers has been in existence for some 30 years or so. It wasn't originally called New Frontiers. But um, I'd just like to talk a little bit about the background to how New Frontiers came together and my part in that and a little bit about my history because I want to try and help you to understand where we are now in the context of the bigger movement of what God has been doing in this nation. I was baptized in the Spirit when I was 18. I was an evangelist in the Salvation Army denomination and learned to preach in the open air. I was passionate for God. I was passionate for people being saved. But one of the big problems was that um, I didn't seem to be very effective I loved God. I loved Jesus. I loved the gospel. I loved preaching. And uh, I was quite often preaching to big crowds, but I never ever saw anybody saved. And this gave me a passion to really seek God for his power. Now, in those days, you would drive miles to go to any meeting where the Holy Spirit was mentioned. Now, that seems a bit strange to us today, but you really would. If there was going to be a meeting where there might be somebody who prophesied or somebody who might speak in tongues, you would drive miles to get to it. And I began to get a terrific thirst for the Holy Spirit. I began to read books. I began to read the Scriptures. I read through the book of Acts. And I began to be passionate to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And after I left school, I did a gap year before I went to university to working in a public library in Aldershot in Hampshire. And I had Thursdays off, and I covenanted with God that I would spend my Thursdays In prayer, seeking for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We had no teaching on it. We didn't know that it was possible just to come and receive. We thought you had to go through a long process of prayer and fasting and all kinds of things. We had very, very little teaching. But one Thursday afternoon in my bedroom, when I was reading a book by Andrew Murray called The Spirit of Christ, which is a book I would thoroughly recommend, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was a power encounter. It was deliberate, it was powerful, I knew it had happened, it was totally experiential and as a result of that the first thing that I did was to go out in the street, up the road, met a friend of mine who had also been recently baptised in the Spirit and we lived in a little village and at that time there was the, the policeman used to stand on the village corner just kind of surveying the great kind of crime that might be happening in our tiny little village. Anyway, that poor policeman got the gospel with two wild-eyed guys shooting from the hip who'd just been baptized in the Spirit. I'm not suggesting that's the best way to go about things, but there was a power, there was an energy, there was an enthusiasm that came with the power of the Holy Spirit. To cut a long story short, I went to university, did a degree in music, became a director of music in a high school, and then God called me out of that into the ministry. Now my first experience of ministry was in an Anglican church which was going through what they called then renewal and the Anglican vicar had a a strong kind of feeling that he was going to uh, bring in worship and uh, uh, was encouraging people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately The church could not cope by the church. I mean, the Church of England couldn't cope with the consequences of what was being preached. Now, I was never ordained as an Anglican, but I used to preach. In fact, um, you may find this hard to believe, I used to wear my black academic gown to preach. Um, The vicar used to wear his white robes, and it was a bit like Darth Vader and the angel Gabriel leading leading the, the, the meetings. But As the Holy Spirit moved, the consequences of that was that the old wineskin burst and I was publicly denounced for leading the church astray. It was a very, very painful thing that happened. And as a result of that, about 60 people asked me to lead them and to be their pastor. At first I said, no, I wouldn't do that. Um, I didn't want to do something that was divisive in in the city of Brighton. I didn't want to do that. But um, at that time, Terry Virgo was moving from Seaford, which was another town just along the coast, and uh, uh, he was feeling that God was calling him to plant a church into Brighton. And Terry Virgo's first Sunday with this church plant in Brighton was also my first Sunday. Now, the reason that I'm telling you this bit of background is that we had to fight for things like the truth of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We had to fight for renewed worship. We had to fight for the whole sense of community life. We had to fight for the whole concept of apostolic and prophetic ministry. It wasn't like it is now where so many churches just uh, and so many books have been written. There are so many conferences and Bible weeks like this where you can hear teaching on this stuff. We pioneered it, and the pioneering aspect of it at times was very painful. For instance, in Brighton, where uh, where we were, there was a minister's fraternal that was set up to counteract the error of this new doctrine that people like Terry Virgo and I were, were teaching in the city And this fraternal was set up. It was an evangelical fraternal that was set up. So that was the kind of opposition that was coming against us. Now, the reason that I'm telling you this is that because there is a whole generation now that have experienced the kind of church that we have who don't know what has been fought for. And there's a generation that hasn't understood the... uh, the way the Holy Spirit moved in this nation in the late, late 70s, early 80s, and I see a terrific danger of what we have being taken totally for granted. Now, that's not a beef. It's just an observation. And I am passionate, in a sense, about recovering restoration, recovering the values, making sure that we are thoroughly, thoroughly biblical in the things that we do, in the things that we say, in the way that we act, in the way that we do church, in order that the foundations may not only be secure but the building is built and that the mission is completed. And so I want to, uh, in a sense, focus this afternoon on, on a Bible story that helps us to understand this time of transition and helps, will help us, I hope, to see how we can keep the values but also move forward prophetically into the new thing that God is doing and the new thing is saying. So if you would like to turn with me to Second Kings and chapter two, here is a story about Elijah going to, uh, going to heaven and uh, He knows his time on earth is is, uh, finishing, coming to an end. And um, his young uh, kind of protege, his young disciple, Elisha, is with him. So 2 Kings chapter 2. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal, And Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel, and the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water and the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces, and he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen upon him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, it was parted to the one side and to the other. Now I'm just going to jump down to verse 19. And uh, this is Elisha now beginning his ministry. Now the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. He said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water and threw salt in it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it, So the water has been healed to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke. Now, I'll come back and refer to that story in a few moments. But uh, just recently, I was um, just on the Internet, and um, I happened to come across, um, through through, uh, putting some things into Google, the funeral of William Booth. Now, William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army, and... Um, The Salvation Army was founded in 1865. What a lot of people don't realize about the Salvation Army is that actually, um, although it's known now more for its social action, it was originally a church planting movement. And uh, Booth was an incredible evangelist filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happened between about 1870 and 1880, in the space of about 10 years, Over 4,000 churches were planted in the UK, many of them with numbers well over 500 and some into their thousands. And this happened very, very rapidly. And by 1878, the Salvation Army was in over 60 countries. Now, that is quite extraordinary in Victorian England without jet travel. Um, It was an amazing move of God that happened in, in this nation. I think... A lot of church historians miss out the fact that it was actually a church-planting movement. And uh, although it was dressed up in uniforms and brass bands and uh, funny titles like captains and majors rather than apostles and prophets, it was nevertheless a major evangelistic, spirit-filled move of God that rapidly affected Victorian England. Now, William Booth died 100 years ago in, in 1912. And I was amazed as I saw on YouTube, and you can Google it. If you Google William Booth's funeral, you can see it for yourself. I watched it, and I just found tears welling up in my eyes. It was extraordinary. There were more people on the streets, lining the streets, for William Booth's funeral than there were for Queen Victoria's funeral. And there's this old grainy Pathé News kind of um, pictures of it there are thousands and thousands and thousands of Salvation Army people dressed in their uniforms with their brass bands marching behind the coffin of William Booth to Highgate Cemetery. And the whole of London stopped. It was front-page news. It was a a profoundly moving thing to watch it. Actually, my grandfather was was there at, at that funeral. And as I watched it, It just made me realize the incredible impact of what had happened in this nation in a space of about 60 years, where the social fabric, where laws had been changed, where godliness and righteousness and truth had come into many, many towns and cities and villages through a church planting movement. Now, the interesting thing is that by 1929, some 17 years later, the leaders of the Salvation Army were in incredible conflict, arguing about how how the Salvation Army should be led. I mean, much that is in the Salvation Army is not biblical in the way that, that it's structured. And they were arguing about how it should be led. And it came to a court case at the Old Bailey, where the leaders of the Salvation Army were fighting it out for who should legally be running the Salvation Army. Now, the reason that I'm telling this story is that the Salvation Army grew in an incredible move of God, and yet some 17 years after the death of its founder, there is a court case, there is argument, there is debate about how the thing is going to be led. Now, when we look back at church history... That is repeated over and over again, where a move of the Spirit of God has happened in one generation, but the next generation has started with it and gone with it, but then started to slightly change the values, slightly change the way things are done. And so what has happened, that that original anointing has become dissipated and it's fizzled out. Now, I am passionate that that does not happen with us. I am passionate that what has been founded, what God initiated, what God brought to birth will continue and grow. My expectation is that it will. And I tell you, I'm thrilled about the younger generation coming through. I look at some of the younger preachers coming through. You can look at New Day and young guys like Steph Liston up there preaching passionately in our own church in Horsham just about four weeks ago. Our young youth pastor, Dan Young, preached his first sermon on a Sunday. I tell you, it was pure Terry Virgo. He preached on grace. It was fantastic. I thought, great, This is wonderful. There is a generation that gets it. But it's also of deep concern to me that there is also a generation out there that have not experienced the kind of move of the Spirit that there has been in the early 90s, in the 80s, in the 60s, and so on. Now, I'm not saying this as the old geezer, you know, it's not like it was. I'm not saying it from that perspective at all. The perspective that I'm saying it from is, come on, let's keep going, let's not lose our values, let's make sure that we press on into what God has spoken to us prophetically over the years and keep alive in the Holy Spirit. Now this is absolutely vital, that the Holy Spirit is not just a doctrine, He is not just Somebody to make our worship a bit more lively. We are absolutely, totally dependent on the Holy Spirit. Now, it's very interesting when you look at the Galatian church how the Galatian church started well. They started in the Spirit, but I'm sure you know the the background to this. They soon drifted into legalism and. There is a, a few verses in Galatians 3 where, it, where Paul says this. He says, let me ask you only this. Okay, he's speaking to the Galatians. He says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Or as J.B. Phillips puts it, oh, you dear idiots of Galatia. Okay, he's not not very Paul's not being very complimentary to them then Paul goes on and he says this having begun by the spirit are you now being perfected by the flesh did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the work of the law or by hearing with faith now do you get the point of what paul's saying here he says you've begun in the spirit you began with signs and wonders and miracles are you now going to be perfected by the flesh why are you now turning away from how you started into another way of doing things now there is obviously exegetically a particular application to this because they were getting into the legalism of obeying the jewish law and circumcision but there is a spiritual principle here that is relevant to us today. Having begun by the Spirit, are we going to continue in the flesh? In other words, are we going to make up ways of doing things that are not biblical and that are not originated in the Holy Spirit? Now, I'm going to be very, very candid and very honest I'm very concerned that some churches are saying, well, we won't have singing in the Spirit in our worship time because unbelievers may not be able to cope with it. Now, I think it's very important that we give attention to unbelievers in our meetings. But if we lose some of our foundational things about body ministry, about the gifts of the Spirit being exercised in our worship times, the prophetic tongues and interpretation, you know, non-Christians who incidentally are in our meetings are not, of, they're not freaked out by those things. You know, the other Sunday in our church in Horsham, we, we had one of those classic Sundays where, in a sense, you are hoping there are no unbelievers there because it, it's like people were just being a little bit wacky and, um, We don't do wacky, by the way, okay? The the Holy Spirit doesn't make us daft, okay? It's important to say that. He really doesn't make us daft. The Holy Spirit's very wise, okay? But people were very energetic in praise, and there was a release of singing in the Spirit. It was really tremendous. In fact, the singing in the Spirit went on for about a quarter of an hour. Now, we don't normally do that. To that degree, on a Sunday morning, but this particular Sunday morning, it was just so charged with the Holy Spirit, prophetic words coming. And at the end of the meeting, I went to our senior pastor, Andy Robinson, and I said, "Andy," kind of jokingly, "said, oh, that wasn't very seeker friendly, was it?" And uh, he laughed and uh, he, he, he said, "No, but um, you know, but God was here." Anyway, Andy phoned me in the afternoon. He said. There was a young man who came to that meeting that morning, and um, he's a, an Oxford undergraduate, and we've got a young man in our church who's at Oxford doing a degree, and um, this young man had seen the guy from our church, seen his lifestyle, and seen his testimony, and said, I would be interested to come to your church. I've never been to a church before. I'd be interested to come to your church. This was the Sunday morning that he came, okay? Intellectual Oxford undergraduate comes singing in the spirit, tongues, interpretation, prophecy, everything that we're told is not seeker-sensitive. Do you know, he went to Andy at the end of the meeting, and he said, I don't know what that was, but I think God was there. Hallelujah. Okay, well, let's go to this story of um, Elijah and Elisha. Now, I want you to get the picture. Elijah knows that it's his time for moving on. Now, there's this time of transition where he is training this younger man, Elisha. So, Elisha is, in a sense, hanging on to his coattails, Elisha has burned his boats and he's with Elijah. He's watching him. And he says to Elijah, I want to have a double portion of your spirit. Now what he was asking for, he wasn't asking for twice as much of Elijah's spirit. That isn't what he was asking for. The double portion is the portion that would be given to an eldest son. It was about an inheritance. It was a a passing on of what Elijah had to Elisha. And it it was, in a sense, Elisha's desire to really follow his master and to go right through with what he was was doing. He knew Elijah was going to be going, and he knew that he was the one to carry it on. So Elijah says to him, Okay, you've got to follow me. Very closely, and go where I go. And so these two men go on this journey, and they start off at a place called Gilgal, and they end up at Jericho. Now, if you look at the map, if you want to go from Gilgal to Jericho via Bethel and Jordan, is not the way the satnav would send you. Okay? Um, so there is a purpose in these particular places. And so they set off from this place called Gilgal. Now, I believe that these four places were four places of spiritual significance in the history of Israel. And it was as though Elijah was taking the younger man on this journey. It was in a sense knowing what the fixed points were in this time of transition and change. And that's what I particularly want to focus on. What are our fixed points in this time of transition? From one big sphere to five spheres that are interlocking, working together, moving together. How does that affect us? What are our fixed points? What are the things that we really latch on to? Well, they set off from this place called Gilgal. Now, Gilgal was the first place they came to when they crossed the Jordan after they'd been in the wilderness for 40 years. When the children of Israel crossed the Jordan, they came to the first place, Gilgal, And Moses said to them, now this is where you, uh, or Joshua rather, he said, this is where you uh, erect some, some stones as a monument to remind yourselves of what God has done. And it was where the covenant of circumcision was re-established. And the word Gilgal means the reproach is washed away or the reproach is rolled away. Now the first fixed point is that we need to keep a robust doctrine of salvation. We need to understand what happens at conversion. It's very, very easy to try and birth people too soon and to, uh, in a sense, devalue the power of the gospel. Spurgeon said a strong conviction leads to a strong conversion. And I think sometimes in our real desire to get people saved, we can perhaps uh, make the gospel a little more easier than it is. You know the bible is about the salvation is about our relationship with god about our sinfulness about being convicted of sin now as a pastor over uh, more than 30 years now i spend a lot of my pastoral time either praying for people to be set free from demonic things or things that have held them captive now really these things should happen at conversion you know jesus Paul says it in Colossians chapter 1, he says that we are delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's Son. That word transferred in Greek is a very, very strong word. It's a lock, stock and barrel transference from one kingdom into another. Now we need to understand that there is a process and work of the Holy Spirit that goes on in a person's life to bring them to the point of conversion. But what can happen is that we can try and birth people before there is that real conviction of sin. And that is why pastors are so often spending so much time cleaning people up. Now, when I preach the gospel now, I'm much more radical about what needs to happen in a person's life. I'll give you an example We we do an Alpha course in our church, and uh, the lady who who was my PA came to me one day, and she said, we've got this lady on our Alpha table who wants to be baptized. Um, She said, but I just feel a little bit uneasy. I'm I'm not sure about about her place in God. Um, Do you think you could see her with me? So I said, sure, yeah, I'm very happy to see her with you. So um, we arranged to meet, and she brought this lady, highly intelligent, um, writer and very gifted lady. And after all the small talk, I said to her, well, Georgina, why, why do you want to be baptised? She said, well, I'd like to become a Christian. So I thought, hmm, that's interesting. I said, okay, so why do you think being baptised will make you a Christian? She said, well, I thought that's what I had to do. So I shared the gospel with her, explained that baptism doesn't make you a Christian. We shared the gospel. We talked about repentance. We talked about conviction of sin. And she got it. She understood it. It was just her understanding about baptism was wrong. So she understood stood it, and I led her to Christ there and then. She prayed the prayer of repentance, and we asked God to come in, and Jesus to forgive her sins. I then said to her, um just kind of casually, Georgina, have you ever been involved in anything weird like the occult or anything? She said, no. I said, oh, okay. Um, Never read your stars? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I read my stars. Um, Anything else? I said, ever done a tarot? She said, oh, yeah, I do tarot all the time. So um, I then began to quiz her, and then... um, She said, oh, yeah, and I've got this angel that guides me. (laughs) So I thought, hello. (laughs) So I said, do you know that God forbids that kind of spirituality? She said, no, I had no idea about that. She said, I want God. I want to follow Jesus. But I didn't know all that was wrong. So we talked about that. I said, I'm going to pray for you to be set free. So I prayed for her to be set free. There was a massive demonic manifestation. The spirit started speaking out of her mouth. She starts crawling around the floor like a snake. The demons get cast out. She's fine. So I said to her, Georgina, we've got rid of that. I said, now, do you know about being filled with the Holy Spirit? She said, no, what's that? So I explained about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Laid hands on her. She'd not seen anybody speaking in tongues or prophesy or anything. There was no background at all. Immediately, the spirit came on her. She was speaking in tongues, and she was absolutely radiant for God. Do you know the next week what she did? She put the God Channel on. She saw Creflo Dollar. She was so incensed with it, she wrote to him a prophetic word saying that he shouldn't be asking for money on the television. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> The point is that she was birthed well. She was birthed well, and we need to make sure when we're leading to people to Christ that we birth them well. There are also various doctrines that are beginning to come into the evangelical world, like the doctrine of penal substitution is being questioned. The fact you know, my friend Stuart Townend has written a great hymn in Christ Alone. You know that line, and um, um, the wrath of God is satisfied. Do you know at Spring Harvest they wouldn't have that in the songbook because of that line that is penal substitution, which is cosmic child abuse. That is what evangelical theologians are saying. We need to make sure that we are keeping robust doctrines of salvation absolutely intact and complete and whole and preach a full gospel of salvation and that's what Gilgal represents. So it's very, very important that we, we, we do that. So they, they now the interesting thing is that there were there were the cynics there. Okay, these sons of the prophets, they they came along to Elisha and they said, oh, don't you know God's going to take Elijah from you today? And uh, they were kind of being cynical. Now, there are people who will be, and this is, I'm speaking to my generation now, there are people who will be cynical about God moving on into the next thing. There will be people who will say, oh, it's not like it was when it was at Downs or it's not like it was when it was at Stoneleigh with, you know, with Terry Virgo and C.J. Mahaney. It's not like it was then. There will be people who will say that. What I would say to you is don't. God's doing something. We're moving forward. We're pressing on in the things of God. Okay, so don't be like those sons of the prophets. Now, the next thing that, that happened is that they came to a place called um, Bethel. They came to Bethel. Now, you know that Bethel was the place where, uh, where uh, Jacob was praying. And uh, as he was praying, the presence of God came so powerfully, and he said, this is the house of God. Now, this is very, very important for us, that we keep a right view of the church, that we have an understanding that the church is the dwelling place of God, that God has no plan B for this planet. God has no plan B. The church is God's purpose on the earth. So if it is God's purpose, it's important that we build it God's way and we build it according to the plan and pattern that God has set in his word. I thought Dave Holden yesterday was really tremendous, giving us that overview of God's plan for the church. So I'm not going to go through that, but I'm just going to say one or two things about our life in the church, being absolutely charged with the Holy Spirit. And so we need to understand that the church is the temple of God, the dwelling place of God, the verse that Dave quoted yesterday from Ephesians chapter 2, that we uh, are the temple of God, In Ephesians 2, it says that the church is being built on the foundation of the apostles. We are being built into a temple. Now, the Greek word for temple, as it's used in Ephesians 2, is the word nios, which in the Greek version of the Old Testament was the word that was used for the Holy of Holies. Now, the Holy of Holies was the place where the manifest presence of God came and dwelt. That was where God was. This was God's home on this earth. So the church is to be the place where the presence of God is manifested, where we experience Him. Now, how do we experience Him? We experience Him by the power of the Holy Spirit working within us. And uh, it's not just a concept in our mind that we have an understanding of uh, of, of what the Spirit wants to do amongst us. The Spirit is very active. So I want to say three things about the presence of God. One is that God is omnipresent. So when we gather, God is there because he's always there. He's omnipresent. But secondly, there is what I would call the realized presence of God, And that is where we, it's not rocket science, where we realize that he's there. And that's why we sing songs to him. That's why we sing songs that focus on him. But there is a third dimension, and I think sometimes in modern worship times, we are in danger of missing this. There is what I call the manifest presence of God, where it brooks no argument, he's here. His presence is here. And when he is here, he does mighty and powerful things so when we come to a worship time we should come with that expectation that we will experience something of the manifest presence of god now there will be degrees of that i've been in meetings where the presence of god has been so strong i've been leading worship there was one i was leading in um in 94 when the holy spirit was moving and uh, I was on the platform and I was leading worship and the presence of God was so strong, I was too scared to do something, to say anything, to lead a song. And Stuart Townend was playing piano, I was playing guitar, I turned to Stuart, I said, what are we going to do now? He said, I don't know. I said, I'm not doing anything. He said, neither am I. (laughs) We just stood there. The presence of God was so strong. Now, we need to have that desire that God will break in. You know, if sinners come into those kind of meetings, they will either flee in terror or become convicted of sin. You know, when people encounter God, they either run from Him or accept Him. You know, in, in the book of Acts, there was either a revival or a riot. But Paul, when he preached, either saw people saved or he got arrested and put in prison and was opposed. We must not be so seeker-sensitive that we think everybody is going to come in, and so we've got to be nice to everybody. Yes, of course we've got to be nice to everybody, but not by compromising God-given principles for building his church and seeing the dynamic of the Holy Spirit operate in our congregational meetings. The Holy Spirit is the most seeker-sensitive person there is on the planet. So um, they came to Bethel, which is indicative of uh, of the the church. The next place they came to was Jericho. Jericho speaks of a power encounter. Now, this is another thing, and I'm going to be a bit naughty, but I'm going to do it anyway. There There is a tendency today to devalue the baptism in the Holy Spirit. There is a teaching that is going around that says that when we are born again, that is when we are baptised in the Spirit. Listen, God can fill people with His Spirit at any time. I mean, that remarkable story that Dave Devonish told this morning, I mean, without her even praying for it, she was filled with the Spirit. So God can do that. He did that at the household of Cornelius. Cornelius. But the norm is that the Holy Spirit works in us when we are not Christians, drawing us to God. None of us can can become Christians without the drawing power of the Holy Spirit. When he gets hold of us, he convicts us us of sin and righteousness and judgment. He leads us to Christ. He leads us to repentance and forgiveness. But I do believe that there is a power encounter, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is more than just a sense of assurance, more than just a sense of sonship. It is a sense of being equipped so that we can do the works of Christ. Now, Elisha held on to Elijah, and he saw him go, and it's a a type, really, of Jesus saying, the works that I do, you shall do, and greater works than these shall you do. He was talking about the Holy Spirit. It's a type of that. It's an Old Testament picture of that. And so when the story I told you about being baptized in the Spirit, the very next time I preached, same gospel, same message, 20 people responded to the altar call. Why? Because I'd been anointed with the Spirit. There is an anointing and we are baptized with the Holy Spirit And with fire, there is a power, there is an energy of God. And I just see so often like, well, all you've got to do is just speak in tongues and, and, uh, you know, we'll help you. Now, listen, we can all receive the Spirit, but I believe God wants to recover in His church power encounters where we're seeking Him for power, for the energy, in order that we might proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. And then finally, they came to Jordan, the place of parting, the place of where Elijah Elijah went to heaven and Elisha was endued with this double portion. Now, I'm going to draw this to a conclusion. The time's going so fast. I'm going to draw this to a kind of conclusion here by thoroughly, thoroughly earthing it and relating it to what Dave Devenish shared this morning because I don't want you to think that the power of the Holy Spirit is given to us so that we can have dynamic, powerful meetings only. Yes, I do believe that, and I think it's important that we come with that expectation that we will encounter the living God. But, you know, God wants you to be effective in your daily life, in your day-to-day living, in whatever you are doing. And the call of God on your life It's not only related to um, becoming a full-time pastor or going into full-time ministry. If you are a school teacher or a musician or an artist or an engineer, that is your vocation. You're worthy of the vocation where God has called you to operate and to function. So in everyday life, you are, in a sense... Had this commission on you to bring in the kingdom, to speak the kingdom, to impart kingdom values. And so that is where we need the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit to live in a kind of way that brings the kingdom onto this earth, that brings heaven down to earth. Now that doesn't mean that we're all going out being raving evangelists okay we are not all called to be evangelists but we are all called to be a witness but what are we a witness to well eventually we are a witness to the lord jesus and all that he's done for us but there is a process there is a massive cultural divide between people out there in the world and us and what we do in church So we need to understand that the Spirit can empower us so that we can engage with people and draw them to Jesus. Now, I I want to give you ten headings, okay, Um, ten minutes left, (laughs) ten headings, and I I genuinely um, would say this, that Rosie and I seek to live our life by these principles, empowered by the Holy Spirit. A few years ago in our church in Brighton, um, the senior pastor, who was Pete Brooks, then asked me to head up our evangelism in the church. And I'd been involved in pastoral work and preaching and teaching and prophetic ministry. And although I was an evangelist at heart, I hadn't been actively involved in evangelism. So Pete asked me to do that. And I thought, well, that's all very well, but all my friends... And all my social life revolves around Christians. So if I am going to be an evangelist, I'm going to have to change my lifestyle. So I said to our eldership at CCK, as it was then, I said to our eldership, guys, Friday nights, if you arrange a meeting, I will not be there. Because that is going to be the night where I am out socializing with non-Christians. Now, most of you know I'm a, a musician. I play the trumpet. So I joined a big band. And uh, I play jazz. And uh, I joined this big band. And um, after a few weeks, I got to know some of the guys. And um, they didn't know what I did for a living. Um, we would go down to the pub at, um, at the interval, and we would chat about life and family and, and stuff. Um, And then it gradually came out that um, I worked for the church and that I was a pastor. Anyway, we were on this gig and the trombone player arrives at the gig kind of walking like this, carrying his trombone case. And he said, um, I saw him, I said, hey, Steve, what's the matter? He said, well, he said, I've really put my back out. I'm really, really bad. It's it's just, I can't play tonight, really. So I looked at him and I said, Steve, you, you know, I work for the church. He said, yes. I said, well, I'm actually a pastor, and I do pray for people with bad backs, and they usually get healed. I said, would you like me to pray for you? And he was a bit taken aback. So um, he said, okay, but can we do it out there? So I I prayed for him. God healed his back. He was able to do the gig. Now, that guy has been on Alpha Courses. I'd love to say he was converted. He's on a journey, and his son, who's a drummer, is also on a journey. But what was I doing? I was just socializing, being there, but letting what is naturally in me reach him. We have a, a little shop down the road near where we live. Um, I walked in one day, and the guy who was serving behind the counter said to me, um, uh, do you know anything about healing? He doesn't know I'm a Christian, doesn't know I am uh, work for the church. Um, do you know anything about healing? I said, uh, Yes, I do actually. Why? He said, "Oh, I've got this terribly bad leg, and um, the doctors don't know how to diagnose it." He said, um, "I thought I might try healing. Do you know anything? Do you know anybody who does it?" And it just came straight out of my mouth. I said, "Yes, I do." She said, "Oh, really?" So I said, "Would you like me to pray for you?" He said, "Oh, no. But Ralph, I bet he would, because he's really ill." So I. <laughs> So this, a typical young Brightonian guy in his 20s. I turned to this guy, Ralph. I said, what's wrong, Ralph? Suddenly tears welled up in his eyes. Um, I hardly knew the guy, hardly spoken to him before. Tears welled up in his eyes. He said, well, I've got this serious back problem and I'm really scared that I've got cancer. I said, Ralph, would you like me to pray for you? He said, oh, yes, please. So they put the closed sign on the door. We went out the back. I prayed for him. The Spirit of God came on him, and he was just weeping. And apparently for the rest of the day and the next day, he was telling everybody about this. Well, a day or so later, I went into the shop with a load of alpha leaflets, and I uh, to... uh, you know, to say, you know, come on the alpha course. As I walked in, there was a lady serving who hadn't been there the other time. As I walked in, the shop was absolutely packed with people. She said, I didn't know you healed people. So I said, I don't heal people. It's Jesus who heals people. And I was able to share into it. Now, what am I doing? I'm just living my life. I'm not being a preacher. I'm not being a pastor. I'm being a spirit filled christian who is living my life engaging with ordinary people okay my dentist very nasty man would get the drill hanging over my tooth and he would say something really controversial about god and he knew i couldn't answer because he would got the drill poised i got a bit fed up with this but anyway in the end i said to him you like music don't you He said, yes, I do. I said, why don't you come to a concert we're putting on at our church? It's an orchestral concert. Um, Why don't you come to a a concert at our church? He said, yeah, okay, I'll come. I gave him two tickets, one for him, one for his wife. And uh, we, we would put on concerts, no preaching, no testimonies, no gospel content. It was a real Dave Devonish type. okay music for the sake of it because it's brilliant and it's a reflection of god's common grace we do that a lot okay so we have a whole mix of christians non-christians come so he comes to the concert a couple of days later had a dental appointment walked in i said what did you think of the concert did you enjoy the music do you know what his reply was why is it that i could walk into a room full of people who all seem to like each other They all seemed to be very happy. There seemed to be no kind of um, problems there. It was such a great atmosphere. What's that all about? Ha, ha, ha. In I go with the gospel. (laughs) So what is happening is just by doing what I do using my natural gifts, what am I doing? Opening up the gospel. Okay? Two lesbians in the sauna. This is not a joke. Okay? (laughs) Two lesbians in the sauna okay, in the health club that Rosie and I go to. They're sitting in the sauna and I'm sitting there and I'm getting really angry because the level of conversation is getting out of control. I hate it. I'm all ready to give them Romans 1 for all I'm worth, okay? One of them has a little boy. The little boy's playing outside. So I turned to one of the women and I said, he's a nice little boy and um, what's it like bringing him up? Um, You know, little nine-year-old boy. What's what's that like? She was amazed that I was talking to her as a guy, for one thing. I mean, they were overt, these girls. So um, she said, oh, yeah, it really is very, very difficult. It's really tough. And she starts to open up. So I, um, I said, well, you know, what's he doing here? She said, well, it's his birthday, and I brought him here to have some fun and to enjoy it. At which point, the girlfriend says, yeah, my dad hated me. He never gave me a birthday present. Now, what is happening? I'm immediately not feeling judgment. I'm feeling compassion. And my whole attitude is changing. There are people out there who are hurting, who are in pain. Yes, they are in sin. But we need by our love and our care and our lifestyle to be relating in such a way that is spirit-filled, that touches them and helps them, engages with them. That is how we will grow our churches. Honestly, it won't come through trying to create services that are entertaining and don't challenge anybody. We won't do that. What, the way we will change people. The way we will change this nation is by being spirit-filled, dynamic Christians out there in the workplace, just being ourselves, bringing the kingdom, loving people, caring for people, nurturing them, and bringing them into an environment. Now, there are 10 C's up here. First of all, make connection with people. Secondly, converse with them. Thirdly, communicate with them. I'll give you an example. Um, We have a little shop down near where we live where there's an Asian family. They they run the shop. And uh, I've been gradually getting to know them. First of all, it was conversation. Then we start to communicate. And so the conversation goes beyond just, uh, you know, good morning, here's the money for my paper. We start to converse, start to talk. Turns out that their daughter is a very gifted musician and needs to buy a piano. I said, oh, I'll help. I'll help you buy a piano. So I helped the family buy a piano. Okay? Then we get into the whole area of communication. And um, it's, uh, it turns out that this family are Hindus. So recently we had um, an unusually warm evening. Um, and I went down to the shop. And um, this girl was there. And uh, she said, "Oh, I wish we had a terrace to sit on." I said, "Oh, we've we've got a terrace. Would you like to come round and have a drink with us?" Now it turned out that they couldn't come, but that's the level that we're at now. So I'm hoping that we get one or two nice evenings so that we can invite them just to come round and sit on their terrace and bless them. We know that that will probably because um, that will probably lead to a meal, to cuisine, to food. Food is a good way to relate with people. And then the next stage, community, let them meet some of my friends. Let them meet some of my Christian friends. Then that's the point where we will start to feel compassion and start to pray for people. There comes a point where the gospel is confrontational. But what we try and do very often is when we meet somebody is convolute the conversation around too soon to talk about us being Christians and about them being sinful and needing God. We need to take people on a journey so that when we come to the point of of confrontation, we've already taken people through a process and we've prayed for them and, in a sense, broken up the ground of their lives so that when we do place the seed of the gospel in, it will start to take root and have effect. And then you pray for conviction. And you don't think, oh, I've got to get them saved as soon as possible. You pray that the Holy Spirit will bring conviction, which can then lead to conversion. And then, of course, they need to be looked after. Now, that is a whole series of teaching that I do. And I can spend a whole kind of session on each, each one of those. But I wanted to put that in to connect a bit with what Dave said I hadn't intended to do this but I want to connect it with what Dave said this morning I think the fact that um, he was able to talk about common grace in that way now there are people I am speaking to this afternoon who've got a a social demography you've got people you relate with there are guys who play golf there are women who stand at the school gate and wait for their kids to come You've you've got social relationships if you haven't start getting some get out of your christian ghetto and make some friendships make some relationships if you use those principles i believe what will happen is that we start to break up the ground of people's lives and get them to the point where we can drop the seed in and when we drop the seed of the gospel into good ground it will grow Now, that's what it means to be Spirit-filled. It's not just about prophesying and speaking in tongues and having words of knowledge and revelation. The thing is, it's in the context of all that that the gifts of the Spirit can really operate powerfully. It's like I've been in situations where I've just been able to say, and what about this? And they've said, well, how do you know that? I said, well, God's shown me. God's shown you. What on earth are you talking about? And suddenly, an evangelistic opportunity is opening up. You know, I started off by talking about the Salvation Army and this mighty move of the Spirit. Do you know, there has not been a major move of the Spirit in this nation of that proportion for a hundred years. You know, that, that, that's true. There's not, there was the Pentecostal movement in the 30s and, and 40s. There was Billy Graham in the 50s and the 60s. There is what we call the new church movement in the 80s and the 90s and now. But there has not been a major evangelistic breakthrough in this nation for 100 years. When I realized that, it scared the life of, out of me because I thought, God, if you don't do something, we are going to lose it. So this whole changing of the spheres this whole bringing about of this uh, new structure is not just so we can continue the ghetto mentality. It's so that we can build churches that are living, dynamic, spirit-filled communities with all the gifts of the Spirit, with all the power of God working within us, with love and compassion and mercy and enthusiasm and all of those things and in the arts and in education, and in politics, and in, through the social media, in all kinds of ways, we are being salt and light, energized and empowered by the Holy Spirit, running amok through this nation with the gospel of the kingdom, preaching it, teaching it, healing it, loving people, caring for them, bringing them into the fold, and seeing them saved and added. Let's do it. Let's keep the whole thing alive and passionate, but don't lose the values. Keep the values. Keep the values that that God has given us over these few years. They're biblical values. Let's not lose them in our worship times, in our Alpha courses. Wherever we are, let's be passionate about keeping the values. But let's allow the Holy Spirit to energize us and say, yeah, we're going we're going it may look a bit different from how it did in the 90s and in the 80s and the 50s it probably will it probably will look a bit different but the values will remain the same that's what i'm passionate about and i am looking to god for a major move of his spirit uh, to to come and energize his church and give us a, a whole new thrust I could go on and on and on. I'm passionate about this stuff. God bless you. Thank you for listening.